Hello and welcome to On Point, a podcast series of fresh thinking on the big topics for corporates and institutions. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and today I'm joined by Jim McCormick, Global Head of Death Strategy, for a special year-ahead edition of On Point. With 2021 around the corner, we've just released our annual year-ahead outlook, and today we're going to discuss some of the big themes and macro drivers that we think will shape markets over the next year. So looking forward to 2021, I think that probably leads us nicely into what the title of the year ahead is, which is uh, Fiscal Forever, Even in Europe. So is that to say that you think the policy reaction following this crisis in terms of um, you know, tightening fiscal policy again will be very different to, to what we saw in 2008? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I'll give Giovanni Zani full credit for the title. Uh, that was... <laughs> Is that we that I, I stole in the very end, but I think it it really is a, a, an important message because um, we know this year was a big year for, for fiscal policy. The numbers we have are average budget deficits, the GDP of uh, in the vicinity of ten percent, um, which in an, is unprecedented in a in a non combat period. Uh, the big question is, does it continue? And and I can tell you that a lot of clients we speak to are, are very skeptical. The assumption is that having had the fiscal response in the crisis, we're going to go back to uh, tightening from here on in. And, and I would say that if there's one thing you take away from, from this call, uh, it's our view that, that fiscal policy is not going away uh, very quickly. I think policymakers look back at uh, the tightening that they did on the fiscal side after the 2008 crisis and recognize it was a big mistake. And I, I think there's... Uh, there's, a, there's a desire not to, to make that mistake again. And when you talk about scepticism, I guess the kind of sub part of that title about being even in Europe is, is the really important part there. You know, our investor survey kind of showed that there was, to a certain degree, a, a belief that, that fiscal policy will continue to be expansive. But there's still a lot of scepticism around this happening in Europe to the same degree as, as it will happen elsewhere. Clearly, we think differently. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm always impressed with the, the level of skepticism around Europe generally. But if you if you want one measure of that today, just look at the, the German bond curve. Uh, so the German curve is effectively at all-time flat levels. Um, German 30-year bond yields are, are close to record lows. And that is the only curve of the major economies that isn't at cyclical steeps or, or very close to uh, cyclically steep levels, and 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 you know, I, I think the market just has a difficult time believing that the construct of the euro area is capable of delivering fiscal policy. And you know, we've been saying all year that they've done it, and the numbers are there. No one believes it. Uh, we're saying the next year it's going to happen again. Uh, no one believes it. Uh, I think people are very skeptical about the recovery fund uh, ever being passed. We think it will be. So you know, this is. I think the, the the big debate that we will have with clients in 2021, the, the belief that Europe can deliver fiscal policy and as a result of that, uh, a, a pretty strong recovery. So we think fiscal policy is here to stay in Europe. We obviously have this kind of other layer of support from the ECB and the recovery fund, as you mentioned. At the same time, we have COVID trends kind of turning. But then if you look at the US, we have, uh, you know, still worsening COVID trends there. And now actually uh, fiscal policy being questioned sort of now that we don't have that kind of blue Democrat sweep that, that we were expecting. So what's our view on the relative growth trends between the US and Europe and, and how do we see that playing out in markets? 
Yeah, listen, I, I think that there's there's long-term issues around COVID. There's, there's short-term issues around COVID. And I think the one of the big themes into early 2021 is going to be what, what we call the growth pivot. So things are, are, are looking better uh, in Europe. So we think last week's flash PMI should be the bottom. The COVID trends are looking much better. Credit uh, to Imogen and the Euro team for the work they've done on, on signaling that weeks ago. Um, and at the same time, the U.S. is just at a different point in COVID, where you're in a third wave, cases are still accelerating, shutdowns are just beginning. So no matter what happens through the course of next year, we're going to have a three to four month period where Europe's getting better, the U.S. is getting worse. Um, and, and I think that has implications for currencies and, and, and for rates into early 2021. And I guess it's not just this diversion between the US and Europe that that will be a big theme of next year. You know, we've been talking about it for a long time, but but in the year ahead, we also talk about this kind of COVID differentiation driving a relative outperformance of Asia as well. And and I know in the survey that that was one thing that that seemed to be consensus and and certainly seen as a big driver of, of FX trends next year. Yeah. So so this was something we we talked about very early on in the crisis that. No matter how you look at, at COVID, it, it's clearly uh, a global pandemic, but the, the response has been pretty much local. Uh, and, and so country differentiation w- was always going to be a big part um, of the, the COVID crisis. And country differentiation should translate into uh, much more interesting currency trends. So the, the easy one in terms of both recognizing early and, and watching take hold has been the, the Asian currency rally. And, and the view is that we still have a fair bit of momentum in the Asia currency rally heading into 2021. But we should recognize there's there's other really interesting COVID stories. So the US versus Europe over the next two or three months is important. And it's quite interesting that Euro dollar having done nothing during the, the second wave in Europe is now starting to hit new cycle highs as, as things start to improve. Um, Australian New Zealand dollars are, to me, the, the forgotten Asian story that uh, also countries with, with very strong COVID management, um, clearly uh, getting support from links to, to China and Asia and also big commodity exporters. So you know, this is a, these are currencies that no one seems to want to be bullish, and yet they keep going up. In, in, in Europe, there's lots of differentiation. So uh, Scandinavia looks like a, a fairly interesting story. So you know, the idea here is that there's going to be a lot of flavors of COVID differentiation uh, and lots of room to keep trading that into 2021. Okay, so sticking with the COVID theme still a little bit, but but pivoting slightly onto the vaccine story. Um, we've had a lot of positive news over the last few weeks, and it seems now that, that you know, a vaccine is on the way, potentially before the end of the year. Um, but there still seems to be a lot of speculation in markets that this is actually going to be the kind of turning point in the cycle or or provide the boost to the economy that that it really needs. Um, So I've got two questions here, because A, do you think that this is a game changer? And B, our investor survey that we did um, starting at the beginning of November showed that actually markets saw this as more of a positive equity story rather than a bearish bond story. So how do you, if it is a game changer, how do you think that that plays out more so in markets? So, so I'll answer your questions in, in one word, yes and no. Yes, it's a game changer. Um, no, it shouldn't play out mostly in equities. And then I'll give you some details. So game changer, I, I mean, listen, um, if you take a step back and look at 
the the economic implications of COVID. I, I think the the most visible way of of seeing the implications is to look at the the wedge between consumer confidence, which has been very very weak, uniquely so uh, relative to to any other recession we've seen in years, against sentiment measures elsewhere. I mean, this has been a, an incredibly good. Um, crisis, so to speak, for manufacturing. Global trade volumes are back to where they started uh, before the crisis. So what a vaccine does is is create the possibility of closing that gap between consumer confidence and and other parts of of the economy. And I think if you get that, there is significant upside risks for growth, um, certainly in the the more consumer-based economies such as Europe and, and the US. So a game changer I think for sure it might take a little time uh, to, to, to weed out some of the skepticism and you certainly want to see that improvement in consumer confidence. But we think as you you go through the course of 2021, uh, I'd expect to see <clears throat> growth starting to, to surprise significantly, uh, perhaps to the upside. Um, you know, equity versus fixed income. I, I, I mean, I'm going to say firstly, my, my gut instinct is it's probably both. It is certainly good for equities and we've seen uh, a fair bit of, of sector rotation already into energy, into banks, away from healthcare. So kind of sensible sector rotations. The overall uh, equity market is doing very, very well. But you know, if you take a step back and you put yourself six, nine months down the road. And we're looking at a potentially global recovery where the consumer starts to be a lead in that recovery. You're looking at potentially inflation risks starting to build and certainly inflation concerns starting to build. You're looking at an incredible amount of fiscal policy and still very easy monetary policy. And you have to wonder what are what will 10-year bond yields of US at 80, 85 basis points look like then? So I, I think ultimately success of the vaccine is, is first and foremost a fixed income steepener. And whether or not that plays a, a part in, in slowing down the rally in equity is really an open question. But but so far, hasn't made a difference at all to, to curves, but we think it eventually will. Okay, I think that provides a nice segue, well, slightly away from COVID and, and now perhaps onto inflation, because I guess if we put this all together, we have this fiscal policy paradigm shift that, that we're talking about, um, coupled with a vaccine, you know, that together we think will will stimulate a recovery next year. So that surely must mean that there's upside risks for inflation heading into 2021. And it certainly doesn't feel like that's what's being priced into inflation markets at the moment. So let me let me give you another yes and no. Uh, so so yes, I, I think the, the, the medium term risk to inflation is the upside, and I'll explain uh, in a second. I'd say no, the, 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 the risks right now uh, are pretty benign. And, and what I would say is, is I think our, our global economics team did a great piece a couple of weeks ago that, that went well into the weeds of what's happening in core CPI in major countries during this COVID crisis. And, and, and quite interestingly to me, if you separate the parts of the economy that are affected most by COVID from those that aren't, what you see is that we're in the middle of a very predictable demand shock on inflation that's been driven by the sectors that matter most uh, for COVID, things like transport and restaurants and and other things. And everything else hasn't done anything. And so all those debates that we've had with clients, you've had them, I've had them, on inflation going up, inflation going down, the reality is we don't have an answer yet. You want to see that that part of 
core inflation that isn't affected by COVID do something? And my guess is that we'll start to be able to answer that question second half of next year. And, and certainly our view, and we've written about this many times, is that what you're going to find is inflation risks are probably more up than down. And, and you know, part of it is the, the policy response, which is it's just incomparable to what happened in 2008. The fiscal lever is, is a much more inflationary, uh, inflationary lever. Um, I'd also say that we should all recognize that there were foundations for higher inflation in place before this crisis. And my guess is that the crisis has probably accelerated uh, that process. So uh, again, I, we don't know the answer yet. And that debate is gonna go on <clears throat> throughout the 2021. Uh, but my guess is by the second half of next year, we'll start to learn more and would not be surprised to see inflation higher than people expect. Okay, so it could be an interesting year from an inflation perspective then. Okay, so I know I said it last time, but now actually moving away from COVID <laughs> and a little bit closer to home. Um, you know, the EU and, and UK deal discuss discussions are continuing, you know, as we speak really. And, and any day now we should hear the final details as we approach the, the end of the deadline. So either way, it feels like we can make, you know, kind of some certain speculation about, about life after Brexit. So what's your kind of overall view on the economic recovery for a, a post-Brexit Britain? And, and how do we see that playing out in markets, I guess, over the near term, kind of Q1 kind of time period and, and beyond that? Yeah, I, I've been slightly disappointed in the market this year in, in, in making the UK, uh, the currency in particular, uh, a function of deal yes, deal no. And, and, and what I would say is our view throughout has been, yes, you're going to get a deal. Um, it will take longer than people expect. Uh, it might even go into uh, December of 2020, which you know we've got another few hours before that is finally proved correct. But ultimately, you get that deal and you probably get some rally um, in the currency on the back of, of that announcement. But I mean, if you take a step back, I mean, the UK is just starting 2021 with a very high hurdle when it comes to growth. The, the last we uh, counted, the UK is 10, 11, 12% below where it started uh, in uh, where it started this year in GDP terms, which is by far the worst performing economy amongst the large advanced economies. Um, last I heard is that the transition into Brexit will shave another 1% off of GDP in the first quarter of next year. So any any rally uh, in UK assets, the currency in particular, into early next year is probably something you don't want to get used to. I mean, the currency is cheap enough that it can probably handle a difficult period, but that big sterling rally that everyone looks for every year doesn't look like it's going to happen next year either. Okay. Okay. So final theme from our kind of year ahead outlook was um, about the ESG landscape. And we made the call that sustainable finance markets will hit critical mass in 2020. Um, can you just talk a little bit more around why we think that is and, and where we think the developments might come from? Yeah, so I, I think the, the, the best indication of what I call the macroization of ESG is the fact that I'm talking about it. Uh, so, <laughs> so the, um, you know, listen, ESG has been an incredibly important market um, over the last four or five years. But, but what's happening at the moment is it's moving much more into the macro space. And we look at that from kind of three different threads in terms of what happens next year. So, so firstly, 
governments across the world, including what looks like potentially the U.S. finally, are making big, big commitments to climate change. And, and impressively, they're also making big commitments to, to bond issuance to fund that climate change. Clearly, uh, in the euro area now, even in the U.K., and we hope at some point in the U.S., um, central banks are, are, are becoming facilitators. They're creating incentives for firms to, to issue green bonds, so to speak. And, and regulators are speeding up the process of, of making green bonds much more transparent. What is a green bond versus not a green bond? So you know, it's very exciting. I mean, for us, we're, we're, we're doing things like building green bond curves in our, in our curve analytics. So I think this is something a year from now we're going to look back and, and recognize that, that 2021 was a real turning point for this market and looking at it as a, as a liquid market within the, uh, the liquid market space. I hope you enjoyed this episode of On Point. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon. Bye.